0: Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, we are in week 11 of our journey through the book of Hebrews. If you are a guest with us, if this is your first time joining us, first of all, we're honored that you're with us. I pray that we serve you well and that you see Jesus through us as we serve you as his church. Uh, we are in this series in Hebrews, which we first titled Jesus is Greater. We've made a slight Uh, title transition into this next section. I don't know if you've noticed, we're calling it faith and certainty, but yes, Jesus is still greater, okay? So um, today we come to a text that is uh, weighty. Uh, It's widely debated, and it's one that uh, many of you over the weeks have told us how you were looking forward to hearing what we have to say about it, and uh, I don't know if I take that as a compliment or as a challenge. Uh, I don't know which way to take it. Either way, my hope is that it's not what Rick says about it, Um, it's what God says to us through it. And so Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 12, you have a Bible with you, Um, the book of Hebrews found in the New Testament, so if you're turning there, if you have an electronic device, go ahead and open it. Uh, To Hebrews chapter 6. While you're getting there, before we get into this text, I do have a very exciting announcement to share with you of how God is continuing to expand his kingdom and allowing us to be a part of that expansion. Uh, Over the last several months, through prayer and conversations, we are excited to announce a partnership uh, between our sports ministry and Christian Academy Athletics. And so um, God has given us a great opportunity to use the gift of sports over the years to point to the gift giver. We've always worked hard to make sure that formula is right. We don't worship the gift. We worship the gift giver, and we believe sports are a gift that he has given to us to enjoy but also to use as a way to spread the gospel. And so this is just another way to see that happen as we partner together to minister to students and families over the years to come through sports. And so... With that, you may see some improvements to our fields, our sports fields and facilities that are part of the partnership and the investment uh, from Christian Academy in order to meet high school regulations, but also to provide facilities with a continued excellence and reflect the glory of God. And so I hope you will join me in praying for this partnership. In sports, to be Christ-exalting and gospel-focused in the lives of the many families we will serve together through the gift of sports. So a very exciting uh, way that God is using, again, our campus and uh, his uh, campus here to reach families uh, beyond us uh, through the gift of sports. So really exciting. God's always moving his church. 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 He's always moving. He's always leading in many different areas to reach many different people to expand his kingdom and the gospel proclamation. And it truly is a privilege and a blessing to be involved in it. And I hope you always understand that, that God chose us as ambassadors of the good news. And that is a privilege for us not to take lightly. Okay? So Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 12. For it is impossible... Verse 7. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This text is by consensus of most commentators... Among the most difficult and complex issues to understand, the issue of salvation and the security of the believer, this text says things that are hard to understand. The greatest and most faithful interpreters wrestle with the meaning of some of its phrases. This text says some things that are hard to receive. Sometimes it's hard to grasp a text or verses are hard to receive, not because of the things in it are difficult to understand, but precisely of the things that are crystal clear. And those things that are crystal clear and yet hard to receive, sometimes we attempt to explain them away in our own experience. And that makes the passage harder to take. So, this text forces us in that way to do the hard work of self examination. Cannot be studied with detachment. We have to look at it. The verses force us to think about our ultimate commitment to Jesus, because it's all about faith in Jesus. Of course, that's precisely what the author intended to do. This is God's word, and it's good, and it's good for us. So this text presents the question that many kind of derive out of it, can someone lose their salvation? And... We're going to talk about that, but I would also reference you or point you to uh, a message that Pastor Tyler did several years ago in a series called You Asked For It. It's out on our website. You can go to our sermon series page, look up You Asked For It, and you'll find a message that Pastor Tyler shared uh, answering that question specifically and maybe more holistically than what we will do this morning. Let me answer this up front, though. I I believe that those who have genuinely been born again and have put their trust in Christ are eternally secure in their salvation. That doesn't mean that they can't sin. They can, and sometimes horribly. Remember, we're being sanctified. We're not there yet. It's the already, but not yet. It doesn't mean that true Christians can't drift or become idle or complacent, which we're going to see also within not just this text, but throughout the book of Hebrews about being stirred, right? We don't want to become idle or complacent, but we can, and we do. What it does mean is that God will graciously preserve them in faith with that genuine born-again conversion. He will preserve them in faith. He will discipline them as needed. He will protect them so that they don't fully and finally turn away from Him and un Belief. We do well to remember this, that our salvation is not our own. Because we're not our own. We belong to God. Salvation is God's, as the Scripture teaches. Jesus isn't property that you and I can just misplace. We don't own him. He owns us. And we were bought with a high price, his life. And so to see those particular truths that we see have there in Scripture, all we got to do is look at a couple other places in the Bible. So as we understand the Bible... Scripture interprets Scripture. Let me show you just a few of these. And these are just a few. And I I hope that you're encouraged by these as we look into this text more. But look at this. Romans 8, 29 to 31. This is what God has done as we look at these. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, Paul writes, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. John 6, verses 37 to 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Again, a sampling of scriptures that teach to the truth that we are secure in our salvation in a True, genuine, born-again conversion. All of these scriptures are in the Bible, and there are more. But what makes today difficult is that we also have the Hebrews text before us. Look, look again at verses 4 to 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So we see a strong warning, a strong warning delivered about the danger of someone who professes to be a believer but who does not show the fruit of that commitment to Christ. The sin is that of apostasy, that's what it's called. One of the great themes of the entire book of Hebrews is to convince these primarily Jewish Christians who the letter was written to that Jesus is greater than all of the Old Testament, uh, Old Covenant shadows that pointed to him, that he's greater than all that. And we've talked about this. They have been tempted to go back to the temple, to turn their back on Christ, to go back to the ceremonial law. In other words, to apostatize Apostasy comes from the word to stand and basically refers to someone who fell away rather than stood. It is a falling away from some kind of relationship to God, to Christ, to, to the Creator. A falling away that the author says is irreversible, a denouncing of Christ. So again, allow me to summarize, I think, this text as clearly as I possibly can and knowing how debated it is. There are real people who will make a strong, believable, and theologically accurate profession of faith in Christ, who will look and sound like Christians, fellowship with Christians, who will be a part of the visible church, who will prove by their falling away that they were never truly born again. And that is the sin of apostasy. That is a seri- so serious of a sin that the Lord gives those guilty over it to hardness of heart from which they will never repent. That's what the text speaks. And God intends to use this through the writer of Hebrews as a warning and a means to keeping in his own. And we see this throughout Scripture. For example, those people in the Gospel of John who, who are said to have believed in Jesus in some sense of the term, but not clearly in a saving sense. Let me, let me show you this. John 2, verses 23 to 25. Keep that in mind. Another place found in John chapter 6, after, after Jesus insisted that those who follow him must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, chapter 6, verse 53, they were perplexed. They were bothered by that. And we read in John chapter 6, verse 60, that when many of his disciples heard that, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then it's followed in John chapter 6, verse 66. Verse 66. When the dec- with this declaration, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. The point is that there are different levels of commitment. Some that are genuinely the, of the, fruit, of generally the fruit of saving faith and others that are not. And the point is that John has no problem. The, the apostle John had no problem speaking to people who had believed in Jesus, and have become disciples of Jesus, who in fact were not born again. And by their failure to abide in his word, demonstrated that their so-called faith was counterfeit, it was superficial. And they were not truly his disciples. They were deluded as to their spiritual condition, you could say. And then there's the parable of the soils in Matthew 13, Jesus in his own teaching in which a man sowed seed among many different types of soil. The seed, as we understand the parable, is the gospel. The soil is the human heart. Jesus says that some hear the word of the gospel and immediately receive it with joy. Notice that they receive it and they do so with joy. But then Jesus says that such a person, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. Matthew 13, verse 21. Jesus' own word speaks to this. So what we see is that a person can hear the gospel... A person can believe certain things about Jesus, receive the message of the gospel, even experience joy in it and even be portrayed as a disciple of Jesus and yet never be born again, never be justified by faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. Just think of Judas Iscariot who lived and ministered alongside Jesus for three years and was never born again. So let me say it another. Apostasy does not mean a true believer can fall away from God, but it does mean that it is possible that a person can make a false profession. And that false profession can be found out to be a false profession by that person's abandonment or apostasy from Christ. So, our text then really is this stronger restatement that we saw in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 6, the author described the church like a house that God was building. And he said, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. It's an if-then statement. We are truly a part of this house if we persevere in faith. Perseverance of the saints. And the implication is that we are not truly part of the house if we don't. We never were. We might have walked in. We might have visited, but we aren't of it. And the point of these texts is not that you can be born again and unborn again. It's not that you can be regenerate, that is, raised from the dead and spiritually die again. The point is that we will see people who seem to be a part of God's church who prove by their leaving that they are not. And that is the warning that the author of Hebrews is giving to the Hebrew Christians who are reading this. So, if we go back to our text, again, verses 4, starting in verse 4, we walk back through these. We'll see what the author says this looks like, how these words could apply to someone who isn't actually born again. Verse 4, enlightened, says they are enlightened. And this enlightenment, as becomes clear later in the book of Hebrews when we get there in chapter 10, is really the recognition that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Hebrews 10, verses 32 and 33. Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. See, for the Jew to say Jesus is Messiah was the face, <laughs> not just public criticism, but it was, it was really, really a bad thing for them to acknowledge. And they have done this. But you can be enlightened in this way, yet not saved. As is seen from the demons throughout the study of the New Testament. They knew Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, yet they weren't saved. So you can hear the truth and yet still not trust the truth giver. Verse 4 also says they tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit. They had experienced something of the Spirit What we know is that the Spirit strives with and uses even unregenerate people, unsaved people, right? We see this with Saul in the Old Testament who prophesied. We see it in the New Testament from the lips of Jesus who says that there will be people who stand before God on the last days who said, Did we not prophesy in your name to whom Jesus will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Verse 5 says, They tasted the goodness of the word of God. They heard the scriptures taught They tasted the goodness and the glory of God's word. Verse 5 also says they tasted the powers of the age to come. They were there to see the power of the kingdom of God. It was evident in the local church as the spiritually dead are raised and Christ is proclaimed in power as the world reordering power The God's spirit brought the power of the kingdom there. They saw all that. They witnessed all of that. They tasted all of that. All of these things are things that regenerate people have also tasted, born-again people have also tasted, but you can taste them without being born again. If you've ever taken a philosophy class, it goes like this. Everyone in the military has a uniform, but not everyone who wears a uniform is in the military. Every cow has four legs. A dog has four legs. Therefore, a dog is a cow. Uh... So every born-again person has been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gifts, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of God's Word and the powers of the age to come. But not every person who has tasted all those things is truly born again. Some have said they were of us, but they went out from us, as John wrote in his first epistle, and so they were not truly of us. And from here, the author of Hebrews moves from that and gives an illustration, verses 7 and 8. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. It's as if the cleansing rain of God's good gospel has fallen down on some. But rather than growing up a useful crop, right, it has grown what? Thorns and thistles. It has shown that it is cursed land, not a covenant land. And none of this is momentary idleness. None of this is complacency or a a, a slow drip. As as true believers may experience throughout their walk home to God. But this is more a permanent, irreversible hardness of heart. Apostasy. Think again of the Jewish audience and their temptation to go back to the old covenant shadows. To restore someone who had trampled down the Son of God. to, To return to the blood of bulls and goats, which is what they did in the temple That is a blasphemous thing, right? It's to hold Jesus up to contempt, which is what the author says in verse 6. Right at the end of verse 6, he says, Then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. This is a real sin that people really commit, who say, I'm a Christian and participate in the life of a church and see and taste and experience and touch and know doctrine and say they believe the gospel and then abandon the faith and abandon Christ for an idol because all other gods are simply that, idols. I have sadly, heartbreakingly witnessed this. I have seen this. And it breaks your heart. So this is a firm, sobering warning. she lead all of us into a position of self-examination. Self-examination. Don't dwell there. Don't spend all your time self-examining. Because then you're just looking at you and not at Jesus. And in the next section, the author of Hebrews expresses a confidence that these Christians to whom he is writing are not going to fall away. He points to a specific thing to justify his confidence. Look at the last section, verses 9 through 12. Verse 9 says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. In spite of the warning, in spite of the fact that he can see them in danger of this, the author is confident that they will not fall away. And verse 10 tells us why. And we'll see these two reasons kind of work together. Verse 10, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Two reasons for his confidence, God's justice in their work. God isn't the kind of God who will overlook his people, who who are bearing the fruit of living faith, namely love for his name, working out and serving others serving the saints in this place. They are, in other words, bearing the kind of fruit that only Christians bear. Thorn bushes don't grow fruit. And false converts don't persist in costly, self-denying love of God expressed in love to others. Let me say that again false converts don't persist day in day out for the for the entirety of their life until they go home they don't persist in costly self-denying love of god and others in service to his church and so he urges them verses 11 and 12 and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until The end, to keep going, right? Verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Our assurance comes forth in love. Specifically, love of God expressed in service of God's people. We love because He first loved us. And to continue in that pathway of love to others in a self-denying, costly, sacrificial way, it can only come from the work of God in and through our lives, which is the assurance that we need to know that He has us secure for all eternity. This is exactly what we should expect to hear from the author of Hebrews, because this is what Jesus says, right? Jesus says in John thirteen thirty five, by this... All people will know that you are my disciples. How? How will they know if you have love for one another? And there's so much more. That's such a there's a loaded statement. Love for one another. It's costly. Sacrificial. It's self-denying. It's persistent. It's continual. Our assurance is to walk in living faith by loving one another. Greatest commandment, love God, love others. We labor for God. We love one another. We serve one another. And he says, there, these are all, to me, evidences of a heart that has changed, of a heart that trusts in Jesus because loving produces vulnerability because you could get hurt loving. But we do it because we are assured that Jesus is with us and has us Changed heart, trust in Jesus, therefore I have the full assurance of hope. The whole message, both the warning and the encouragement, turns on our faith in Christ. Persistent, costly, self denying love for God and others. None of this should make us think that we avoid sin by being good enough, by loving enough, by loving Jesus enough. No, it's all by grace through faith. But it is grace. It's a resurrecting grace. It's a living, not a dead. It's not a dead faith. Faith without works, remember, is dead. Jesus' brother James taught us that. So we work from grace and by grace and through faith. We don't work for it, but we do. We absolutely do work. We love supernaturally. We repent of our sin. We love our enemies. We love our brothers and sisters. And we do all that by the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ, which comes through our our faith of being born again. We are Christians. So let's keep running the race and perseverance until the very end. Don't give up. Keep your eyes on Christ until we're home let's pray Father Father this is a a text that causes us to pause in our walk in our race home this is a text that causes us to to look at the areas of our life where we're not trusting you It causes us to look at the places where we have taken it back into our own hands that we need to let go and put back in yours. It causes us to be reminded that that our assurance comes from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension to your right hand and to his promise of coming again that eternal security that we have to know that we will be with Him forever and ever. It causes us to pause and be placed again in a posture of humility, to be placed again in a a posture of gratefulness and thankfulness. And God, I pray for those who who may be among us or watching online that haven't truly repented and believed and trusted in Jesus. They've heard it. They have an intellectual assent, a connection, a proximity to the gospel, but they haven't really trusted in the gospel. There hasn't been a true belief and trust. God, may your spirit do his work in their life. May they hear your gospel of good news, of love, that your son came. And he lived a life that none of us, none of us could live. But he died a death that we deserved. And he conquered that death and he conquered that sin. And he resurrected from the grave three days later. He appeared to many for 40 days and then he ascended with the promise of coming again. And he has set us on path for those who have repented and believed and a true saving belief that he is Lord and Savior to go and tell the world, God, I pray that if there is someone who has simply been walking through faith, not truly transformed by your grace, God, you know who they are. May today be the day fall on their face in repentance and brokenness, that they open their hands, letting go of trusting themselves, and they trust in you. God, for the disciple, for the Christian, may we be encouraged to know that you have us, the verses that we read, reminding us that this is your work that you've begun. This is your work that you will complete even when we fall short Even when we become idle or complacent, you discipline us, you bring us back, you set us back on path, you move us forward again. May we be encouraged that you are with us. Who can be against us? We might be pressed in, but we will never be crushed. May we be encouraged to keep running this race. May we persevere and may we proclaim and testify throughout this way home that you are good you love us and you have provided the way for us to be home forever. God, thank you. Thank you that we have that assurance. Thank you that we can live in that assurance every day, no matter what. God, thank you for your son and our savior, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.